Hey guys, you're listening to the Couplings Fire Podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Chris. And I'm Taylor. We are married. And we're both firefighters. Join us as we talk anything and everything fire related. We don't claim to be experts. We're just two people who love to talk fire. And everything we say are our own opinions. Our goal is to inspire anyone listening to take the steps to better their department, however they can. Let's get on the episode. I've been loving Clubhouse a lot recently. Yeah. Yeah. We have the Friday morning breakfast with friends group now going. And not going to lie, it's a little bit tough for me to, like, get up and, like, awake enough to talk to people at 7 (laughs) a.m. The first week I joined, it was at 8 a.m. And I don't know why I got switched to 7. It's fine. I'll deal with it. But, like... Maybe some people have to work at 8. Maybe. But, like, I don't know. Because, like, it seemed like it was just fine at 8, but maybe not. But it's it's central time is what I'm talking about now. So, like, 8 would have been 9 central. Or, like, it would have been 8 central, but, like, maybe 9 o'clock for East Coast. You know? But that would have been, like... That would have been 6 a.m. for West Coast. So that sucks for anyone on the West Coast. 7 a.m. is going to be 5 a.m. at West Coast. But I don't know. I don't know what time works best for people either, though. So there's that. But... It's been an adjustment, but those are fun. I really like them. Yeah, because you, you did that last Friday, didn't you? Mm-hmm. So, this has been really nice. And then we started... We just did it once, but I, I'm kind of hoping we keep doing it more. We did kind of like a Heartland Firefighters talk. And, like, it ended up being more, like, centered around volunteers. But it, it was kind of random and kind of all over the place. But that was Sunday night. That we did that one. So David Stender kind of set it all up and asked me if I'd be interested in doing it with them. I'm like, sure, why not? So that was, it was fun. We talked to a lot of people. So kind of a little bit about everything. Yeah. The subject kind of jumped around everywhere. But I think it, I think it happens that way when you first start something like that because you don't know exactly how to start. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I mean, it all depends if you have a... And a plan of attack or not, too. I mean, do you keep it on one subject or you just kind of let it free flow? I think it's okay to let it free flow, but I think it, I think if you, I think it needs to maybe next time start out with like a little bit better plan. I think we all realize this as we were talking about it, though. So, you know, but just because sometimes there's quite a bit of like just break of conversation. And no one knew quite what to say next. And so I think we could flow it better if we actually had, like, something to like, revert back to. But, yeah, if the conversation's going good, I think go wherever it's taken you. But Just have something to fill up the, the gaps with. Yeah. So that Makes sense. That is definitely more your platform than it is mine. I think you never tried it, though, really. You just tried it that one time. Yeah, but it's just... I don't know. It's hard for me to do Zoom and even like FaceTime and stuff like that it's I don't know it's weird for me it's it's not normal it's I don't know it's just kind of foreign to me still I still love it because I still get to talk to people yeah and it's more interaction than just texting on social media stuff I mean don't get me wrong it's nice to definitely talk to people out of your area and just from different places I assume all in the U.S. but uh, so far, from what I've experienced, it's all in the U.S., but I'm sure, I mean, it's open to yeah. anyone around the world, I think. Right, so. yeah. 
I mean, just talking to different people around the country and stuff helps. I mean, that's a very unique experience, and it is pretty cool that you can do that. So Yeah, and it's, it's so much nicer than just, you know, typing something back and forth on Instagram or Facebook or something. I mean, it's still nice. It's still good, but... I don't know. It's there's something different about just hearing the human voice and actually interacting like that. It's great. Yeah. I'm a very much a in person person. Oh, me too. I I am, but it's this just, it fills that, a hole. That's what's normal for me, I guess. So, and it's since I'm not used to all that, it's still just it's very foreign and I don't know, hard for me, I guess. Yeah. I'll get there one of these days. Slowly. So, uh, we probably should just... Oh, hi, everybody. What's up? <laughs> this happens every time, doesn't it? We'll, yeah. We'll just keep talking about something, and then we'll like, oh, hey. <laughs> yeah. So. Welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. Yeah, thanks for listening to us still. Welcome to the podcast. We have... A another recap for you guys from another fire school. Another what? Recap. Oh, I think it's a rehab. <laughs> another rehab for you. Another recap. <laughs> so another, yeah, what yeah. I guess what what did you and I do this weekend? We I, went I was there for like two thirds of it. Yeah. We went to the Nebraska State Fire School. So this one's gonna be a little bit different of a recap than Les Lukert was because I didn't actually take any classes at this one. So every other year for the Nebraska State Fire School, I'm actually hired to go take photos for it. Every other year? Did I say every other year? You said every other year. Oh. Every year. Whatever. So every year. So every year. Every other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I said that. Okay. Thank you. So every year. So every year I photograph the fires, the Nebraska State Fire School. I'm hired to go do it. And this way, the fire school and the state association and stuff can, like, use these pictures to, like, help advertise and look back on the year. And it's kind of like a thank you to the departments, kind of all over just kind of thing, right? So, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I get to kind of go all over the fire school as I feel and get pictures of everything. It's, it's a lot of fun. I have s- such a great time doing it. But when I go around these through the fire school classes and stuff... I kind of get to pick up little trips and trips, <laughs> little tips and tricks and stuff along the way because I kind of sit in at least every class for at least about five or ten minutes, if not some of them quite a bit longer, <laughs> you know, um, whatever I feel necessary. So it's it's really nice because especially like some of these classes I, I never get a chance to take because I'm not taking classes there. I, I get something from them still. Yeah, so. so you don't get a whole lot in each area, but you get little tidbits here and there. and yeah. Things that you can kind of think about. And... Exactly. And then you do that with, I've been doing this since, I think 2015 was my first year. It was either 2015 or 2016. I'm pretty sure it was 2015, though. So since then, I've been doing this every single year except for the, the Rona year last year. Last year. <laughs> and so you build up all those trips and trips. I keep saying trips and ticks. Tri- tricks, t- tips and tricks. I can't talk. Wow. Yeah. This is going to be an interesting one. This is going to be an interesting one. Usually you're the one who's all tongue-tied. I know. I'm doing pretty good tonight. <laughs> so, yeah. So, add up all those years of tips and tricks, and I start actually, I, I get a lot of knowledge from each individual um, area. 
So it's, it's kind of cool. So anyways. Nothing else at least gives you things to think about. Oh, yeah. So for getting paid to be there. Exactly. Right. So. <laughs> and, so, you, and usually when I go, I haven't gone for a couple of years now just because of work. But usually when I go, it's just one single class. You know, mm-hmm. I'm usually taking classes and where you get to travel around to all of them. So Yeah, and then this year, you actually had to work Friday, so you didn't get to come up until Friday night. But then for Saturday, Sunday, you didn't take a class this year. You actually got to come and help me and kind of tag along and carry my, my bag of goodies, my camera bag. Yep. and <laughs> You got to see what I do for it. I got to be the pack mule. <laughs> You're pretty good at it. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Yeah. No, for, for anyone wondering, in case you're wondering, my my uh, camera bag weighs about the same amount as an air pack. So pretty much every day at the fire school, I am walking around all day with an air pack on my back. And yeah, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. So. At least yours is, well, the newer packs are a lot better, but our old packs that we used to wear mm-hmm. didn't have any padding on them. At least your backpack has padding on it. Right. <laughs> I I'm, I gotta tell you, after a long day of walking around, I'm so thankful for like the hip harness that's on that backpack and everything too. Oh my goodness! Yeah, even I started wearing that by the end of the day. Like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. But anyway, anyway yeah. yeah anyway, so. so we'll start out with the beginning of fire school stuff with the uh, the keynote speech that happens at the very beginning of everything. So so we're just kind of gonna go through this and kind of do the little things that you kind of picked out and. What kind of made you think? Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's fine. I, just, I think. I want to make sure we're both on the same page here so we don't get in a fight again. You know? What? So, um, yeah, go for it. Because ah. this was, most of the stuff that you kind of picked up on was most of Friday when I wasn't there. Yeah, so, so. it's funny because I actually picked up more stuff from the classroom classes this year than I did the hands-on classes. Usually it's a good mix of both. But the hands-on classes were pretty straightforward from everything I knew or have known before. You know, just kind of like, it was pretty standard. I didn't really hear anything revolutionary, and I don't think you did either. Or any little good No, and, things, well, and the but... thing with, um, at least Saturday, when we went to see a lot of the hands-on classes, they were in the middle of doing things. It wasn't really teaching the specific tactic of what they were doing. They more seen them just performing it so yeah. there, it wasn't quite so much information thrown out you just got to see what they were doing yeah so it's a little bit different too i'm yeah. sure if you were in the classroom side of that you would have picked up stuff yeah but i was yeah so. i was trying to get these other classroom ones too there there's so many classes at fire school i want to say there's usually about 30 approximately 30 classes every year so yeah, that's a lot of classes to cover in a weekend i have no idea and i still don't make it to all i make it to most of them just not all of them oh. but Okay, All so, right, so now, starting at the beginning. Start at the beginning with the keynote speech Friday morning. Um, Billy Greenwood, we've talked about him before on this podcast a few times. He came down from the Northeast, and he had a class. He did his Surviving the Insult class, which I am super jealous of, because at Les Lukert in 2019, he had the four-hour version of this class. And this was like a 12-, 16-hour version of this class. And it was one of my favorite classes that I ever took in, as just a four hour. So I am super jealous I didn't get to take like a longer version of this class. <laughs> I think you were saying that before, or like when you found out he was coming down to do classes, you were like... I was so upset of, that I'm taking pictures yeah. and I'm, I couldn't actually take the class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he came down for that. So he did also the, did the keynote and his keynote was all centered around training for failure. 
So in this in this keynote, he basically goes through this big story of how he was on a ski trip with his family and he ended up actually getting injured and doing all these things um, to try to help with his injury because um, he ended up going off by himself on accident um, and getting injured during this keynote speech or during the okay. during the story during the story. Thank speech. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and. Through all of it, he was doing all these things, and he was, you know, he had already been a first responder for a while, or for years and years, because this didn't happen that long ago, probably like 10 years ago or less. But through all of this, and through everything he he went through with this thing, he forgot he had his cell phone in his pocket the whole time. He could have called 911. He didn't remember it was there. He had no idea. And it's funny, because he ended up equating that then to how we train um, in the fire service and, you know, basically he came off of that story asking the first question, how many times do you see guys on the fire service, in the fire service, go to perform tasks on the fire scene and they act like idiots. They don't know any better. They can't figure things out. Right? It's not their fault. They never got trained in that stress-induced environment. Just like he never thought he'd ever have a problem going skiing and stuff like that or whatever. Not remembering the cell phone was in his pocket. The simplest thing ever. Everyone should know they have a cell phone in their pocket. But when you get that adrenaline going and all that stress in your brain, it turns you dumb. You know, unless you really train in those stress-induced environments more often. And we've talked about this on the podcast before a few times. Yeah. yeah so um, it was really interesting because he was really hitting that home. And it's something that... I, I love how he specifically made a point to talk about that with his keynote speech because I think it's something that a lot of volunteer departments need to hear um, because they don't hear it enough. So maybe maybe you already said this. I don't remember. So he goes through this story. What What is the main point of his speech that he's giving? The main point is the stress-induced training that we need to see more of it in the fire service. The The training for failure the not just training on the pumps the same old easy way you've always done it with no stress in it you know um you know he was even saying you know like because he used pumps as an example he's like you guys have a pumps class here at fire school this year you know he's saying well some of those instructors if you guys want to once they learn the basics you don't do it when they're just learning right that's important that's you don't need to do that until they've gotten past those basic steps right because people need to learn from somewhere but once they've got some some time under their belt or whatever, you need to put that stress into it. You need to have, you put a timer on them to, hey, you screwed something up in the pump, you have, or like I screwed, I'm the instructor, I screwed something up on the pump. Hey, Chris, you have 30 seconds to fix it. Go. And then the whole time they're trying to fix it, first of all, you're counting down. Second of all, you're yelling at them and pounding on the thing. Hey, we got guys inside. You got to fix it. You know, keep going. Come on. We need, what are you doing? You're screwing this up, blah, blah. You know, get on them, and that raises their stress level. But that's also going to make it easier and train them for the stress level they're going to have on the scene when they actually go do it. And people are really relying on them. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of brings up the fact that you always want to train that worst-case scenario. Yeah. Like, and it kind of ties into this, because if you're, if you're training, like you said, you know, if you're a pumps guy and something goes bad and you guys got you got guys inside your house and people yelling and stuff like that, you are training for that scenario and that is probably one of the worst scenarios you can be in as a pump operator. Mm-hmm. But aside from that specific situation, everything else is going to feel so easy. Oh yeah. 
And oh, it's definitely. gonna come as second nature until you get that same situation or one that's possibly tougher. But hopefully you're training for that worst case and training to that failure so that everything else seems so much so much easier and simpler when, when you're going through it. Oh yeah. And like I said, you don't do this with people who are just starting out. That's that's not the time to to introduce the stress induced training. But once they've gone through something a few times or even if you're doing a full weekend class and you've gone through the basics with them in that class, you can start to add that stress-induced stuff at the end of that class. You know, like, it, there, there's times to add it on. You're going to see where your people are getting good at the basics of understanding how things work to be able to add this stuff in. To where you can start throwing little problems with them, and as they get better, then you can keep stressing them out a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah. To gain that, not competency, but um, that... Get reaction, confidence, the... Yeah, that, that confidence and just that muscle memory of knowing what's going on and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because so. he referenced it to the whole, you know, when your adrenaline gets pushed and when your heart rate gets up and everything, you get dumber. You know, and we've talked mm-hmm. about that too. We, you know, it's great to hear these instructors and we all talk, <laughs> we'll go through a bunch of these who talk about the same things we've talked about before, not just with ourselves between chris and i but on this podcast too with you guys yeah so i don't know i i I think it's very relevant to what a lot of departments are going through now because yeah so many so many departments are just training the same way they always have and there's no stress put into it Mm -hmm. and at our previous station um to kind of reiterate this point we have an an old newspaper article that was put up on the cork board there. And I, I can't even tell you how old it was. The paper had gotten pretty yellowed by now, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was an article that the paper put out that said you will practice or you will perform as you practice. So if you're always practicing the same thing with little stress and just going through the motions of it, that's how you're going to perform when you get out to actually go do that job. Mm-hmm. Which... You know, some of that's kind of nice because you have that confidence, you have that that pace among you that you're not going to screw up. But at the same time, you also don't have people yelling at you. You don't have, uh, you know, people's someone's house on fire and they're out there screaming in the front yard telling you to put the fire out and and just kind of the chaos and stress and adrenaline of the situation. Yeah. So, I think it's I think it's really relevant to what's going on now, just because I see so many departments just kind of doing that same thing all the time and not pushing their guys to get better or be stronger in a certain skill set. I, I, I don't know. I hear about it all the time, I guess. I feel like yeah. I do anyway. I Maybe do too. I don't, but. Um, so another thing that kind of ties into this. So uh, there are multiple different classes I saw at fire school this year where they implemented this, not to the extreme that I think maybe they could have done, but they implemented it to a point, yeah. you know, and this was all the way from private, the private instructor companies that were there all the way to the fire marshals that were there teaching. Because I remember one class, the fire ground operations class that was taught by the fire marshals, you know, one of the guys is like, because the people were asking questions and he's like, I don't know, but you guys better hurry up. There's people inside and they're waiting on you and uh, they're going to die pretty soon if you don't get in there and stuff like that. Like he wasn't like stressed about it or like really giving that um, franticness about it, but he's just like, hey, you guys do what you want to do, but just so you know, there's someone's going to die inside if you don't go get them. 
you know, like yeah, yeah. kind of reminding them that, hey, this is real training. You need to. It's time sensitive. Yeah, you need yeah. to you need to practice like you're going to do it. You're starting, so, you're starting to put a stress on them yeah. without really stressing them. Yeah, it was a lower stress, but it was still the introductory of, hey, come on, let's do this. Like, it's important. So that was really nice to see. Well, and before we move on here, it's a lot like what we talk about with Valor Fire mm-hmm. Training. Now, they, Valor does it to a very different level. Valor does it to a very <laughs> different level, but it's not your basic hands-on hot class. Yeah. They, I think, I, I would have to talk to Dave to know for sure, but I feel like that was, like, his whole goal in creating that training company is to make that realistic and make it just crazy stuff that you're, you know, you may not ever run into it, but it's so crazy and so stress-induced and, and just different things are happening to you so fast that you you do create that training to failure and you learn from it and just that that stress level that you're used to dealing with at that point then yeah we will have to ask him for sure i'm going to assume that at least had to be part of the reason with it but was to get away from that hands-on or that just everyday hands-on stuff and get to a very realistic training yeah so i would think i i the, from the trainings that i've been to with them i mean <laughs> And that you've told me about that you took with him. I mean, that's that's really seems to be what he pushes. So yeah, I know he does a lot of classroom classes too, and they're a little bit different. But as far as his hands-on classes go, um, I think it's very much stress-induced and training to that failure and trying to remember everything. You know? Yeah. So anyway, let's, anyway, uh, let's move on. on so. Move on to the next one. We stay on this one for a while. I, I think it's important. Though. It I is. Mean, it's it's something. You hear about and see a lot in the fire service, and I don't know, from what I read, like, on Facebook and stuff, people are always looking for ways to be different because they're doing the same things on and over and over and over. So, yeah. anyway, yes, we can move on. Sorry. So, the next one we're going to move on to, and if I don't have the name, I might not have the names of these classes specifically right, so forgive me. I don't know <laughs> if any of you were there and took these classes. They're just going to be pretty much what the classes were called. So this one is resources for the new chief and new chief officers. And um, this one was taught by Shane Cutlers. He is a local firefighter to Nebraska. Th- this I came in kind of during the introductions of the class. And it's funny how much information I took just from like the introductions of everybody in there. But there's a lot that gets talked about. Because he wasn't just asking who they were or where they're from, but what problems they had or what they wanted to learn from the class or different things. So some things that were getting talked about a little bit, he was talking about the need to tell the why to our members and that he's seeing that a lot more lately. And specifically in this case, it was dealing with getting grants, you know, because uh, different departments were seeing trouble with necessarily getting the money, getting grants, whatever that they needed And the reason they were having trouble getting that is because they need better training and they need all that record for training or whatever to get the grants. Because if they don't, then the grants are just going to either, they they might still have them on the list, but they're going to drop down to the very bottom. They're going to have no chance of getting those grants if their training isn't perfect. Right? So then how do they convince their members to do these trainings? Well, a lot of what Shane was telling him with this is, you know, we have to explain to our members that in order to get these grants, in order to keep the department up and running, in order to get the new apparatus or new gear or whatever we need, we need to explain to the members that we need to train and this is why so we can get on higher up on these grant selection processes and stuff. So, and he kind of iterated that it was for a lot of other things in the fire service too, but that's what he was talking about most at this point. 
if nothing else, I mean, very much, yeah, in this this situation, yeah, you're talking, you're talking a reason for doing something, but I think a lot of it just comes down to communications. I mean, yeah. everyone wants clear communication in your department. They want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not have to necessarily tell them the whole story, but, I mean, they want to know what's going on. They want oh, to have that communication. But and if you have people who weren't so much like wanting to do a specific training or train so often or whatever if you told them that doing that training could be the make it or break it to getting a new truck possibly to get to getting up high enough on the grant list to get a new truck i think you could persuade at least uh, at least more than a few members to do better yeah and it's just if they know the reasons behind something you're going to find a lot more cooperation within your guys too i mean instead of just going out there to to do it, at least they got a reason. Oh, this is why we're doing it. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. I can deal with that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it I think it comes down to especially I, I hear it a lot, and I hate to blame it on it, but with the generations moving and stuff like that, like our generation, the uh, what generation are we? We're millennials. Yeah. The with the millennial generation, I mean, we and and later the Gen Zers too. Yeah, I mean, we we want to know why. Yeah. So. And everyone thinks millennials go like way down to the people who are coming in the fire service now. That is not true. Gen Zers are the ones that are actually coming up in the fire service. So millennials stop. Like the last millennials were born in like 95 or 96. So right now they would be. How old 25. are they? 25. Thank you. Something like that. You know, so that's the lowest end of the millennials is 25 right now. So if you guys are you know, calling all these people younger than that millennials, they're technically not. <laughs> they're Gen Zers. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> right. Yeah, just just with the generation change in there and everything, I mean, we, we do want to know why. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's a good reason or not, we just, we want to know we're that way. Yeah. So, can't tell you why. We just are. Uh, next thing, um, again, just talking about everything, um, with the intros and stuff, he got onto the point of, you know why and it's something that bugs him and it's bugs a lot of people i know it does but why do fire departments have to fundraise for equipment all the time you don't see police departments yeah you don't see the police departments the utilities parks departments anyone else having to go fundraise for trucks for any equipment they need to run whatever the fire service the fire service and fire department is a it is a required department for the city to have, whether it be volunteer career, whatever it be, it's required for them to have some sort of fire protection. So why are they the only ones who have to fundraise? And why is it so common? Like, and it, like nobody questions it, you know? So it's just something he didn't have an answer for or anything. It's just, it's something that's been bugging him for a while. And I know it bugs a lot of you guys and us listening or us talking too. So I'm not sure. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we got into it talk about that Saturday night too with a very passionate individual and about fire departments being an an essential service to cities and stuff like that and then it's crap that we have to go fundraise and he won't go do it because it is an essential service and the city needs to provide it and I don't remember that I must have been tuned out at that point or something you must have he went off on a freaking rant (laughs) (laughs) it was funny but it's hilarious because effort I mean it's a big problem it doesn't make any sense and I understand, you know, if you think about it, the ambulance service, you know, for many places make money and technically the fire department doesn't. But at the same time, you think of it, the fire department does in a way provide 
a money-saving opportunity for the community because the higher ratings you have for ISO, the lower insurance is. So, right, yeah. you know, so, like, you do save them money. It's just in a different way that they don't see. So it's it's yeah. kind of crap. I don't know. Like Coming back down to a communication issue, too, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, but anyway. Anyway, so that was just, it was interesting, you know, because I thought I'd just bring it up because, you know, we're all kind of frustrated with it and stuff like that. And it's just, it's not just on the East Coast or the West Coast. It's also here in the Midwest. And it's just, I, I think we all need to put our heads together and somehow find an answer, but <laughs> no one has yet. <laughs> That'll be the day when we find one, that's for sure. <laughs> So another thing in this class, you know, he was he was talking to someone one time and they were saying, hey, you you can't run things like you did 30 years ago. You know, everything around you has changed. It's not the same. So you can't run everything as if it was the same. It, it won't work. You know, you, you do have to keep up with what everyone's doing around you. So it, it was an interesting little tidbit in there he threw in just to help us all know that things do change and we may not love it all the time but we do have to be up for changing with it because if one piece is moving 30 years ago and the rest is moving here in 2021 things are not going to run smoothly yeah it just comes down to you might have had a thriving department 30 years ago but if you didn't change with the times your chances are you're probably not doing that great right now yeah you got to change with the with the times with the generations with with the way politics run i mean mm -hmm. things change and what is the fire department what do they say 150 years of unchanged tradition <laughs> tradition doesn't necessarily have to change but the way you do things might have to change yeah i wish i could find that quote because i need to print it out unchanged tradition the fire service is 150 years of tradition unimpeded by progress who said it nobody knows Oh, okay. Those are the best ones, aren't they? Who knows who said it? I could totally put out something and somebody be like, this. But who knows who said it? Yeah, unknown author. But that is kind of always the joke that I run into. So it's basically saying that the, the traditions of the fire service, the tendency is for them to stick to traditions instead of moving forward. <laughs> but, and we do change. I mean... We change to a certain extent, and then there's a lot of us that like to hold on to traditions and don't. There's a, I, I think there's a difference between traditions and changing to make things better. Yeah. I mean, there's there's very certain traditions in the fire service I think should never leave, you know, such as like the the bagpipes and and how, you know, how people are brought in, things like that. I mean. There, there's some pretty traditional stuff out there that means a lot and has some good meaning behind it, but that doesn't mean you can't change the way a department operates and still keep those traditions. Anyway, may, we're getting too far into this, but uh, yeah, I think he brings up a valid point. You know, if if you're still running things like it was 30 years ago, you're probably behind. One last thing with this class. Um, so... Through hearing multiple people talk about it as one of the things that they're having problems with, it, it kind of came clear to me that many departments are saying it's not necessarily the younger guys are having trouble with convincing to do things or be more motivated. It's a lot of the older guys. Uh, not necessarily like what you think of as older guys, but just the members who have been on for 10 or more years. So you could still, it could still be like the members who are 35 to 40 
Like, not not old by any means, right? Not what you consider the old guys, but... Well, depending on when you get on, that could be as young as 18. Or not 18, uh, 28. 28, yeah. You know, but those are the people... And, and, and Shane was talking about, too, you know, those are the people that it seems like more often than not, these departments are having problems with being motivated and wanting to do things and actually, you know, being involved with things. The younger generation actually is up for doing anything and they are up for learning and they're the go-getters when it comes to trainings. Yeah. And, and this, yeah. like, I think you told me before, this wasn't something that Shane brought up. This was something that the the people in his, in his class brought up. Yeah. Like, like, um, at least, at least three of them that I heard. Yeah. So. So it's something... Again, you know, obviously we don't have an answer for it, and it's just something that we're going to have to get figured out one of these days and spread it. Yeah, I just, I wish, I wish people would stop complaining about the younger or older generation. You know, I, I wish, I wish the older guys would stop complaining about the younger guys not wanting to do anything, not wanting to learn, blah, blah, blah. And I wish the younger guys would stop complaining about the older guys not wanting to change and stuff. It's kind of how it is right now. <laughs> yeah, it very much feels that way. And I know we need to get better at it, too, because we, we fall subject to that sometimes. But it's also what we've experienced, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we just, we need to change our mindset about it and figure out a solution instead of complaining about it. Mm-hmm. So. Anyways, moving on to the next class. Fireground operations on Main Street for company and command officers. And basically, it actually ended up, from what I understand, this class was more building construction than anything. And a lot of collapse zone and things. Well, it was like Main Street Fires. Yeah. What was the name yeah. of it? So it was like kind of how... I, I think how the building construction got in there is how like Main Street... Like especially older Main Streets, how it was actually originally designed. Yeah. And that that's why I think it ties up Main Street ties into building construction. It's because it's all on how it's designed and how you fight it. Yeah, and this one was uh, t- taught by Chris Nam. Um, I don't know. He has don't. tons of creditations to his name. Yeah. <laughs> we won't go into that, but he, he's very good at what he does. Yeah, he, he is uh, internationally known. So, anyway, so he was teaching at this fire school, and he's been teaching the same class at fire school for a while. Yeah. Anyway, so some of the things I caught from his class a little bit. First of all, buildings evolve, right? People move in. They make changes or remodels to buildings. They move out. And the same cycle happens again and again all throughout time. So what that building was actually done the first time, it's not going to be that same way anymore, most likely, you know. And I know of in town here, several people have moved into, let's say, just let's say just the Main Street buildings now on this first point. Like, there's someone who moved into a building and it was this big all open space in the in the main room, right? Well then they ended up putting so many dividers in the front to make it easy easier, easier to like keep and cool the front and keep it separate, right? And just make it look a little nicer and separated rooms. But the whole back was still open. But that adds in different construction in there. You know, and let's say if they ever get rid of that building, somebody else comes in, maybe they want to make more rooms in the back or something, but it's with a whole new type of construction that comes up that hasn't even been invented yet or let's say or something. That's going to change it even more. Well, yeah. And to put on that, I mean, there was a business downtown. They left. And then there was another business moved in there that had a, a, a phone company on the front. And then in the back was actually an insurance company. Mm-hmm. And then they left. And now it's a physical therapy building. Yeah. So it's like kind of uh, 
uh, waiting room up front, and then I'm, I haven't been in there, but I'm guessing there's probably some individual rooms towards the mm -hmm. back for patients. Yeah. So, I mean, it's changed three times just in the time that we've lived here. Yeah. In the 10 years that we've been here. So, let's talk about our house. Because, so our house um, built super long ago, 1901, right? And we were pretty sure the, the kitchen was a diff, was an actual add-on to the house. It wasn't originally on the house. So that was a completely different add-on than what was originally built. So it could be a different type of construction depending on what time frame it was built in. And we've made updates in there, mm -hmm. you know, and we've added new things. And some of the people before us who moved in didn't do updates the right way. <laughs> so they would just throw things on top of other walls or whatever, you know, and so you never actually knew what really happened in those buildings. Things change constantly. So it's just interesting to like, yeah, the mm -hmm. newer houses are great because they're all perfect and, you know, done the quote unquote right way and stuff. And Well, a new way. house is new, so like they've only changed so many times. Yeah, exactly. Where an older house such as ours or one of our main street buildings, who knows how many times they've changed since they've been built. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I I'm glad you bring that up because I never really thought about that. Even just residential houses, how much they can change. And as time changes, construction changes. And so everything's constantly changing and the whole house may not be changed. It might just be a couple rooms here and there or a roof built over another roof or something <laughs> yeah. such as that. You know, you just, you don't know. There's tons of problems that can come with that. And um, I don't know 100% for sure, but I'm assuming it can change fire behavior depending on what type of construction each room is in even. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it, it's just something to think about. <laughs> well, if you want to get down to that far, I mean, even the contents of what's in the house, it's not so much building construction anymore, but just the contents, the way they're going to burn compared to, like, in our house, our furniture and everything's going to burn so fast. And then mm -hmm. if it actually gets into the frame of our house, it's going to burn forever. <laughs> You know? Well, it depends what room it's in, too, though. Yes. Because if it's in my office, it's going to well, burn differently than what it would in our so bedroom. But your office is all studs and stuff. It's oh, all original okay. studs and stuff. But anyway, the point remains that <laughs> even even if the construction has remained somewhat constant, even the contents of the building change. Yeah. But anyway, we're getting off topic again. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Because I don't hear it talked about very often. Yeah. And and granted, I'm not in the building going, instruction world, so going, there's that. Going back to that, I mean, you mentioned your office. Um, it's still the original framing of the house, so that's still all original dimension heavy lumber. Mm -hmm. Um, but like these downtown businesses where they're actually dividing rooms out, that's old frame, but they're putting all these walls in there, which are probably you know, new walls, they're mm -hmm. not like temporary walls or anything. They're actually new studded walls and stuff. So they're going to burn completely different than the whole rest of the building. But like then the saying. whole box is going to burn like normal, but it's, yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And there, there's a, no wonder that they're hard to fight, but anyway, anyway. So yeah, that's that point. Uh, the next one in there, um, I stayed in there just long enough for him to get started getting on the next topic of, uh, the roofs for like, uh, especially downtown firefighting. Right. Um, so some roofs are designed to fail. And so these roofs that he was talking about were made for a different time of firefighting. Basically, um, a time that they, the firefighters were not going to go inside because it wasn't feasible enough for them to. It was, the fires were too hot. They didn't have the protection to go inside or anything to be able to do it, right? So these were designed to fail so that way it would actually be safer for the firefighters on the outside and able to put out these fires quicker from the outside. Right, so the roofs were designed to collapse so that way they could get water in there and get it out before it spread. 
they were designed to collapse a specific way. Yes. So that creates a problem. Nowadays, when firefighters actually can go inside and do go inside, these buildings are still designed or like the buildings that are still standing from this era are still designed that way because there's no reason to change them, right? So they're designed to collapse. So then when they collapse, it causes or could ca- cause problems. So he was specifically saying anything built from ni- 1897 and after. And I don't know exactly what point the stopping time was. I didn't stay long enough for that. He didn't say it right away. I'm going to assume somewhere maybe between the 60s and 80s. When did the air packs really get big? Do you know, Chris? I, I don't know. Okay, so whenever interior firefighting really became a thing, a I lot, I would think, is when they started that up again to, like, stop that. I'd say, like, 40s or 50s, maybe. Okay. But So, I, I don't I don't, I don't have a specific yeah. date, but 1897, he said that one specifically, that date specifically, um, where it was the year that they started designing the roofs to fail. And basically what they did is that they made a fire cut in these roofs to fail a certain way. I don't know much about fire cuts. I literally just made sure I had it in here so I could talk about it. But um, it's something I want to look into more because I think it's really interesting. And the more we talk about a little bit of building construction in firefighting, it's getting more interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I never thought I'd be a person who would like like that kind of stuff, but it sounds cool. I don't know. It's it's definitely different. And like we were kind of saying in the previous note, you know, that's where if you have a roof built over another roof, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody bought the building. And instead of completely replacing the roof, they just put a good roof over a bad roof. Well, you still have a collapse situation. And oh, yeah. It's just... Well, and we say that because we've had it happen to us. The, oh, the roof over roof. Yeah. Not the... Well, we kind of had a miniature collapse, I It guess, was a miniature but... collapse. It was hilarious. The collapse was, like, super slow-mo, by the way. Yeah. I was inside for it. And it was, like... It, it doesn't... It, it sounds worse than what it was. But it was, it, I was out of the area and everything, but it was, like, super slow-mo of a collapse. Like, yeah, it, it was, was like it a was movie. A, it was an added-on room to the house. And so it was almost like a completely separate, uh, it was yeah. weird, but anyway. Anyways. Yeah, it sounds worse than what it is, but yeah. yeah. But, but, so, but we've been in the situation with the double roofs before, and we've heard other people it happens to. Yep. So it's yep. out there. We will have a episode coming out just kind of on general downtown fire considerations and some pre-planning stuff like that and it's just a lot of it is getting out and getting into these buildings talking to the people that own them if possible looking at some of the stuff like roofs and stuff like that yeah but again i digress (laughs) next one next one next one nebraska fire happenings which was taught by the state fire marshal yeah so on this one, I popped in. They were talking with people on Skype or FaceTime, whatever, Zooms, whatever, that kind of thing. And I don't know where they were from. Okay, I have, I have no idea. I don't know if they were in Nebraska, somewhere else, who knows. But they were talking to them about the, a large wildfire that they had recently, right? Well, I assume it's in Nebraska. The class usually covers Nebraska incidents. Yeah, I would hope so. Anyways, <laughs> it was called Nebraska Fire Happenings. Yeah. But it could have been from outside Nebraska, but it's something Nebraska deals with, too. So. Yeah, it could be. I don't, I who, kn- who knows? I've I, never I, been yeah. to that class. So I didn't know who, exactly who they were talking to. But the whatever department they were talking to, they were all volunteer, or everyone that helped and everything were all volunteer. And they never expected something big like that kind of a wildfire to happen in the area. And, and one thing they were, they were talking about in there is... You know, it's it's better 
on a big incident like this. And it, it was humongous from what they said, right? And it's better when you have communication with everyone with what the plan is, especially in an area where many departments don't know the area in general, right? They were talking about how they had such such a hard time with communication in that call. They, they didn't have the ability to talk to everybody because of radio frequencies in this class. And, and they were just having trouble explaining to everybody what their jobs were. And it's just so interesting because I've heard about this more than once from many different places. It happens all the time, but not enough people talk about it. I don't think anyone wants to talk about it because nobody has a solution for it. I'm, I'm just happy they brought it up, though, in there, because it, 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 it confirms the fact that it's not just me that thinks it's a problem. Right, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I know they said in there they had to rearrange a couple of times what they were doing due to many different factors, some of it being the, the hard time with communication, some of it being things weren't working quite the way they thought it was going to work, or the fire was moving different ways. Um, some of them realizing that the tactics that they were wanting to use just wasn't working that day for some reason. Or sometimes the tactics that they were using just didn't work in general in that area they were trying to use it in. So, I don't know. I just thought it was very interesting because it, it, is, a, it is an issue with the communication. And it's just nice to hear that other people... Sometimes it's nice to just hear that other people have these same problems. Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if nothing else. It's... it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny because, I mean, that's why we kind of started the f- podcast was because we, you know, we see problems and we assume since we see the problems that a lot of other people do too. Yeah. Um, which maybe isn't the right way to do it, but I guess I'd rather have the information out there than everyone have the problem and no one talk about it, I guess. But Yeah, at least if people start talking that there's a problem, at least things can start getting figured out to yeah. to hopefully to, to make a better way to figure out the problem. No, the only, the only thing I want to bring back up, and you've already said it, but the fact that they never expected some that big or something like that to happen in their area, and I I just think that's something that a lot of a lot of departments fall into that trap. Yeah. That it's either a never happened here or it happened fifty, 50 years, years ago. Fifty years ago, and it was a fluke deal then. You know. Yeah. It's just things like that. Things that we get complacent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people fall into that trap, and it's it's just the chances of it happening might be slim to none, but we still need to have that idea or that plan in place. And obviously, we can't plan for everything, but we need to learn to not be complacent either, and understand that just because it's never happened doesn't mean it won't happen. Yes, and I Does think that, make, that makes sense. I think is that a good so. Way of that? I think so. I think what we need to start thinking about is like with some of the things that are more likely to happen in our area, but still has never happened. So let's say our well, previous. Let's, let's just take this. Oh. this large wildfire. Yeah, a large, a large wildfire. Um, you know, you have maybe those medium sized or smaller wildfires, whatever. It is possible that you have a good wind driven day or just something out of your control that makes it bigger, right? Right. For some reason. So that's something you can start to plan for because it's more likely to happen in your area. Let's say you've never had a Main Street fire. You have a Main Street. It could happen. The potential's there. <laughs> the yeah. potential's there. Yeah, you, you absolutely cannot plan for everything, but if the potential is there, at least have somewhat of a plan in place. Yeah. 
um, if you've never have a, had a down firefighter in the building, the potential's there because if you do interior firefighting and you do any sort of structure work, the potential's there to have that. So have a plan mm-hmm. in place. Um, yeah. Same with the victim. You've never had a victim in, let's say, however many years or ever. Same thing. Potential's there to have it. I think it's um, grain bin uh, explosion or something or just regular extrication emergency. If if it's if you have a lot of farmers in your area, well, just like you, we talked about with Tim on yeah. the last episode. Yeah, exactly. You have the. It, it's a greater expectation that it could happen there. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more likelihood. So you you know if we're not gonna train in the Midwest for for hurricanes or for you know granted there was those flood calls a few years ago. Yeah. But how often does that happen? Yeah. Not no, very often. often. I don't mind those departments not paying that much attention. Or, like, not training on flood stuff all the time. Or even really having a plan for it because that was really out of nowhere. Right. I think, right? That's different. But with others, this other stuff that there really is a good, solid base that something like that could happen, I think you should have a plan for it. So, there, you know, it, it, there's a line. Or not a line. There's a, you know, you can't plan for everything. But you, you can start prioritizing what's more likely to happen. Yeah. Just... If it's crossed your mind before, just don't put it off because, you know, that's never going to happen. Yeah, if it's crossed your mind, that means it could happen. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, the flip side of the coin. If something big does happen, whether you expect it to or not, make sure you're learning from it. There's always good that comes from these fires. And if it's something unexpected like this, there's always things to learn about it. So don't be afraid to... Not only focus on the positive, but also say, okay, all this stuff went right. What do we need to fix now to make it go better? Yeah. So I want to uh, mention this quote that I got off of the Firehouse Tribune off of Instagram. This is actually a couple weeks ago. So the pre-planning and size up doesn't stop after the call is over. This is the phase where we hone in on pros and cons of what went right and what went wrong. We also look at the strengths and weaknesses. Yep. So... So, and I I really kind of wish I knew what fire this was because I, I really don't know. But Yeah, you know, me too. It's just like, you know, the pros of what happened. Oh, they got the fire put out. Awesome. That's great. That's that's the best. <laughs> that's the end goal. <laughs> the I mean, end that's, goal, that's yeah. That's definitely a positive. <laughs> um, so maybe the negative was, well, obviously they, they, they talked, talked about, about the here. negatives. The, the communication, yeah. you know. All right, so that's a negative. That's something we need to fix. Maybe it doesn't get fixed at this little meeting that they're having but maybe it's something they work on going forward that we either need to figure out a way to communicate with everyone or we need to have maybe one person out of every department is at a command spot and that way they can communicate to everyone i don't know maybe they can find out a solution moving forward now so in case something does happen this big again they have a plan in place Mm -hmm. so it's just it's just learning from from that event yeah and i think that quote covers it very well so Anyway, let's uh, keep moving. So the next one we got is instant leadership and decision making, um, taught by Todd Manns of The Blue Cell. So in this one, I actually stepped in when they were doing an exercise to introduce members to each other. And they this was like a second part of the exercise or whatever, because he switched it up because he was trying to... I think he was trying to see how comfortable or uncomfortable people would be with doing this. And how easy or hard it would be and just 
how they would react to things. And I think it had to do a lot of probably what he went in with the rest of the class with. And this is one class that I've seen bits and pieces every year and I've wanted to sit through more of it. (laughs) One of those that definitely interests me more than the others, for (laughs) sure. So they were doing this exercise and it was what he called it, get to know you. Um, And so basically they had split up into groups and each group of say like eight people or 10 people picked a leader right or had a leader from it and then they had to tell the leader their name and like two to three points about them pertaining to different questions that were on the board right and then the leader had to write all this stuff down and he had to keep track of it all and then he had to go introduce each member of his group to the entire class and point to them and you know, make sure he knew everyone was. It was very interesting to see because some people got tripped up and some people were very good at it. I would be very tripped up. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at remembering things that quickly. Well, like, he'd have all the things written down. He just had to remember who it attributed to. Like, which sheet of paper went with which person and stuff. I might be able to do that then. I don't know. I don't know. It, it was, they were having a little bit of troubles with it and stuff like that. And then they're <laughs> like, you know, but it was, it was all to see how they handled that leadership position. Right. And what they would do with it. Um, but it, it was really interesting. Just It was just a normal exercise of get to know you. But the thing I found more interesting than anything in it is that the, the instructor talked about, you know, this is something you can do with your members at your own department every year or even better quarterly. And he was saying it doesn't even matter if you you know them if you're a super tiny department, you know, like 20 to less people or whatever, you know, but you should still do it quite often. And the reason being is that people are different people in different groups they're in. And even though you know somebody, you're not going to know every little thing about them. Doing an exercise like this and having different questions for prompts and stuff for answers you're going to learn different things about people that get you to know them more as a person and overall is a great team building exercise. And it sounds stupid. I know you guys are like, oh my goodness, team building exercises. <laughs> like people hate those. I understand. But they're so good because people don't take the time to to learn things about people enough. At least anymore. I don't know. I... Anything I've been in is, hey, how are you doing? How's the family? Blah, blah, blah. It's it's very basic, right? How many people do you think, they might know I like Disney, but how many people do you think know that I like the business side of Disney? Yeah. Or know little things that I achieved in the last year or even the last couple months? You know, doing something like this will get those little facts about you out there and everyone knows everyone even better. Well, nothing else. I mean... People, like everything else, people change over time, too. Interests mm-hmm. become different, and personal lives become different, and life experience becomes different, and, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're going through something in your personal life, and through this little exercise, um, you find out some other guy's going through something real similar. Yeah. It gives you a connection. It gives you one, pers- one more person you can talk to, and it's a team, so... If that gives you a resource to help deal with that, hopefully in a positive way. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just one more thing that that team is there for you on. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, it's, it's, it's a little off topic, but, but I mean, like to me, like the fire department is family. And if they can help you through something, most of those guys, 
that I'm around anyway, and I hope everyone else is around, they'll, they'll help you. Yeah, well, it got me thinking, like, and I'll, we'll go on this in a, in a future episode because I really want to hit more specifically on the topic with mental health stuff, but too often people, they they say, like, oh, you can come talk to me or, hey, hey call this number or whatever if you need help and stuff like that, but they don't pay attention to the little, not even warning signs because people don't have a flip a switch on when something's bad is going to happen to them or when they're thinking about doing something stupid or whatever. It's it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that takes a lot of time usually and happens very slowly and you don't notice it. But yeah, if you bring up these conversations and you talk to people and you start getting in depth with these things, like you're saying, Chris, maybe put it in a prompt that's a little bit more personal or something to these you you might start picking up on things a lot quicker and getting conversations happening quicker to i'm not gonna say stop depression and suicides and things that come along with it but maybe start inhibiting it a little bit at least start recognizing the signs like this is out of that out of the norm normal you know yeah. things like that so so no, I agree. Yeah, well, I, I, I really want to get farther into some of that someday, because I got a few, um, I think everybody does opinions on things, but I think I got a few opinions on things that people don't talk about. So I think that's an episode I'm going to have to do some research on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, getting out of the low point <laughs> there <laughs> with that. Uh, it is a good exercise, though. Yeah. I think anything you can do to help build a team and bring people closer, especially on a fire department, is a good thing. Yeah, even if you know people. Yeah. We've lived in we lived in a small town for a long time, and we knew people. But at the same time, did we? You know, like how how much do you know them? Yeah. So yep, I, I agree. Um. So the next class we're gonna talk over really quickly. Just a little point I got was surviving the insult with Billy Greenwood. I've already taken this, well, the shorter version of the class, the four-hour version. But I just want to point on, touch on one point here that I caught when I was actually sitting in on it this year. Um, so, habits and training lead to the same habits on scene. Uh, for example, he was talking about um, a specific incident. He actually showed a video and everything of these four guys coming out of a house fire. And things got bad. And they were coming out. The first guy coming out literally was, he was in control, but at the same time, he wasn't in control. He was trying to get out of the house as quickly as possible. He was freaking out. Everyone else after him kind of came out a little bit more controlled, coming down the ladder, things like that, right? If you zoom on, on that video, you realize that the guy in there who came out super fast was not wearing his hood. You can see his ears. And I don't know if it's... For sure that I came down training, I'm going to assume so if you put this in there. I can't I can't quote it hundred percent because I again it's been a while since I sat through that class and I just caught a little bit of it. But let's say he had this training and it's too hot, so during training for interior, so he decided not to wear it. Right? Or for whatever reason else during training you're not wearing your hood for interior work. Well, when you go onto a fire scene if you haven't been practicing putting on your hood for these trainings and stuff, what are you probably not going to do? You're going to forget, not on purpose, but you're going to forget to put on your hood. I mean, it's kind of like what we've talked about before in one of the trainings of, you know, if you're doing these trainings without live fire and you're taking off 
you're 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 taking off your SCBA mask and everything, or after you quote unquote find the fake fire, right? You're training yourself to do that on scene. As soon as you put out the fire, you're training yourself subconsciously, even though you think you're never gonna do it on scene, to take off all your gear or at least your mask or whatever when you when you put the fire out. You're not training yourself to go all the way back out, get deconned, and then do it, right? So same kind of thing here. It's just those little things, those habits and training lead to those same habits on scene more yeah. often than not. M- muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Train, train your muscles the way you want to perform. Yeah. So, so if you're not zipping everything up when you're doing your training, you're probably not going to remember to do that when you're actually going into a fire. If you're not putting on safety glasses or putting your shield down during extrication practice, you're probably not going to remember to do it during an extrication. Yep. So a little thing there. Last one? The last one I have written down um, was from the class saying safe as a first responder. And this was taught by Mark Mites. So one little part I I caught in here. So you guys have all heard of the lockdowns or lock-ins for schools, I'm sure, of by now. Right? So the lockdown is usually where, like, they don't let anyone in. Classes don't change. The lockdown's, like, severe, like, Kids are kind of hiding for cover kind of thing, right? And the lock-ins are just everyone's out, but everyone in the school can still kind of move as they please, right? Or some some lock-ins I've heard of keep you in your classrooms too, things like that. Well, they were talking about a quote-unquote hold pattern on the school. So this was interesting for a couple different reasons. So what they do with the hold pattern is that they're, and this is something you'd set up with your own area, Right? But if they're supposed to switch classes, they stay in the class that they're already in. If they're supposed to get on a bus, they don't get on the bus. If they're on the bus and the bus hasn't left school yet, they don't leave. Basically, it puts a complete hold on everything that happens. No one moves from the spot that they're in for that time. Usually, it's not for that long of a period. Usually, it's pretty short. uh, But it can be longer if you need it to be. So, how I thought of this first typical way everyone thinks of it something happens inside the school and for this it's nothing serious like let's say a shooter or something else right it's something a little bit toned down maybe with one or two people and for examples let's say it's a seizure somebody's having a a seizure and the ems squad needs to get in there right so you'd put a hold let's say especially if it's within between classes or almost between classes you put a hold on the school so that way the EMTs can get through the school without people going all the way through the halls and disrupting them and things like that. They can get to the student, deal with that, take the student out. Then the hold gets released and people can go on their way. Okay. That's one way to do it. Right. The other way, which I thought was fantastic, <laughs> by the way, let's say you have a fire call. It's kind of somewhere nearby the school, right? A couple blocks away or something like that. But like the school's like right in the way. It's about at the end of the school day. So all the parents are going to come in to pick up the kids. The buses are getting ready to get loaded up and take the kids away. You could call the school, put them on a hold pattern. And that way you could get your trucks and all your volunteers or your department to that scene quickly without worrying about, I mean, you still have some parents picking up their kid or like driving in. But you wouldn't have all these kids running back and forth. You wouldn't have the buses. You wouldn't have any of that. It would stay pretty calm at the school while you guys are going to your scene. Then once you deem, you know, 
well enough, either you have enough resources on scene at the very beginning or whatever to like let the school get out, go ahead and call them back and say, hey, you know, you can release the whole pattern and everything can go back to normal. But it, it gives you a few extra minutes there or whatever you need to not have that extra chaos and to make everything safer overall. You know, you don't have that possibility of a kid walking home from school and you accidentally run them over. Like, <laughs> you know, or just the backed up traffic of the parents and stuff in there. Right, yeah. I, I think it's good. It's something I never thought about. Yeah. And it's not near as big in our area just because our school is on the edge of town and it's not near as congestive. But, I mean, if we had a fire out in that area, it'd definitely be bad about 330 <laughs> to get trucks there and all that kind of stuff, you know, and definitely cause a problem and that would be a good way to help that problem oh so. definitely so can i tell you something funny i don't know if i've ever told you this before go for it okay so i was in high school and i was picking up my little brother from middle school have i ever told this story i don't think so okay so this is interesting so i was like pretty new to driving okay like relatively new i'm still in high school whatever so our our middle school is right uh, basically a block away from the fire station Okay, in our old town. And <laughs> so I'm going to pick them up. And um, on one side of the school, the buses, all the buses line up to pick up all the kids from middle school, right? So I'm in there. For, it's congested as all get out. You remember how it was, mm -hmm. right? There's no way to go anywhere, especially with those buses taking up that parking lane. You got two lanes of traffic, that's it, right? <laughs> so I'm there. And there's nothing behind me, right? I'm trying to pick up my little brother, not knowing what I'm doing. An ambulance comes up. It's lights, blaring, sirens going literally right behind me. I can't go anywhere. Like, it is right at school getting out. Like, there are kids running everywhere. You have the buses going here. You got parent, everyone driving this way. I can't go anywhere forward. I can't pull off to the side. I can't do anything. So I'm stuck there with this ambulance behind me for, like, three minutes. Like, trying to figure out what to do and, like, trying to, like, find a way to, like, pull in. or I don't know. So that was a nightmare by the way. So this would have worked amazing if they would have had that at that time to put a whole pattern on the school or, you know, if the ambulance would have taken a different route. But I don't know if they could have then, depending on where yeah, it was. Yeah, but if the whole pattern was on the school, you would have still been there. I would have still been there, but you wouldn't have had all the parents in the way trying to pick up the kids because the kids were running out and stuff like that, too. So the kids oh. would have stayed inside so that if the ambulance would have come, I think all the parents would have gone where they need, or, you know, gotten out of the way or whatever. But Right, yeah. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, oh. that would have been useful. Yeah, it would have been useful. Holy cow. That was, that scarred me. Like, I still have it. I can see it in my brain. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know what to do. I was freaking out. Like, I knew I was supposed to get out of the way, but I couldn't go anywhere. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, they're probably yelling at me right now. <laughs> Just. Yeah. Anyways. Well, anyways. So. <laughs> I wish there was something funnier with that story, but I think it was just funny how, like, I was just completely freaking out, so. I'm sure it was kind of annoying for three minutes. D yeah, you think? Sirens on. and Especially somebody who's pretty new to driving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Friday for you, huh? That was Friday. That was Friday, and I joined you Friday night. Yeah. Went out and ate. Went to sleep. Went to sleep. Saturday we did all our all a lot of the hands-on stuff and kind of the off-site stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they do a, the fire school does a really good uh, fire investigations class. Oh, fire investigations class is one of the best ones they have the entire weekend. In your opinion. In, in my opinion. All these are our opinions. That's true. Um, <laughs> it says at the very beginning of the podcast. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's one of the best ones that I see. So if I were to take a class, that would be one of the ones I would take Every, for sure. Everyone that I've talked to that's taking that class absolutely loves it. And some of the guys have taken it two or three times because yeah. they love it that much. Um, Their so ropes rescue class is pretty good. Rope like rescue that. is a pretty in-depth class. That's looks really cool. Um, I've never taken it, but... Again, got a chance to see it with you. Uh, my absolute weekend. favorite class is the flashover trailer. Yeah, hundred percent. Hung out with those guys. <laughs> so the, they're from uh, custom fire training from Iowa, right? Yeah, yeah, Iowa. From Iowa, and Jim Carpenter runs that. He's got. He is Jim is an amazing guy himself, but he's got an awesome crew working for yeah. him, and they do. Uh, they have a actual flashover trailer where you can sit through a flashover and sweat to death and have fun in there and they also have a interior trailer where you actually with burners and everything in it where you actually get to go in and and fight like you would in a house fire <laughs> um in this trailer and just the level of instruction these guys give and the experience that you get from it is just it's crazy it's awesome oh it's amazing um and then yeah we we hung around there for a while because You've you've gotten to know Jim. Oh, way too much. Him and Casey and everybody on there. Like, uh, so every other class we spent about twenty to thirty minutes at, and that class I, we spent an hour at Saturday, and we went back again Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> if that tells you how much we love that, stick around that class and just watch it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you you know Jim, you've gotten to know those guys over the last years of taking pictures, and I've taken their class uh, a few times now, and it's. It's an awesome, fantastic class, and we actually went and had supper and drinks with them Saturday night and mm -hmm. had an absolute blast with them. Yeah. And That's one of my favorite parts about these schools, though. The schools and conferences and stuff is going to hang out with these people who, you know, either instructors or other, other attendees or whatever from across the states, or even just if they were just from Nebraska. It doesn't matter, you know, because we just get to see people we don't get to see all the time. We get to talk with them. We get to talk about... Uh, great things, bad things, just anything that comes to mind. It's kind of like talking on the podcast. Yeah. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> it's great. So, yeah, and it, it's fantastic. So, Sunday, went back and seen them. Um, the intro to firefighting class, which is a huge class at fire school. They have 250 students. They have a max of 250, and they always fill up every year. Yeah. Uh, it's a crazy big class, but they do a really good job of introducing um, firefighters to firefighting yeah. and doing a lot of the basic stuff, ladders, um, basic hose movements. Um. They get a little bit into the basics of fire behavior. They do a little bit of search. Now, granted, it's the elephant herd search, but where you grab onto the yeah. legs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it's just the they, very they have to They have it. to teach things the official way since they're the fire marshals. Yeah. So that's, that's fine. It's just, it's a very basic class, but it's, um, from the people that I've talked to that have taken it, it's, it's a very good basic class. Yeah. And it definitely introduces people to what's going on and how to do things and what to expect. Yeah. So if you are thinking about taking that class or getting into firefighting and you have an opportunity to take that class, do it. It's awesome. And in the way, okay, so the way you said the whole elephant herd knocking the search stuff, there's still things you learn from that type of searching. 
Okay. Right. It's not yeah. that I'm trying to dog on that whole type of stuff. I think there are better ways of doing it that I've learned now um, that I think are far more superior. But there are things you still learn from it. And if yeah. you're a new firefighter, I think that's a good place to start. Yep. For so. Sure. So. Um, advanced SCBA. Um, we didn't see so much from that this year. We saw... I liked their searching off a rope, though. I And I saw that before, and I've never done it. But I really like that it's a different type of searching i think it would work great for bigger areas like well, for commercial that's, that's, buildings that's what it is it's, it is for commercial it's, buildings it's for a large area okay because like, like so other ways we open area okay because a lot of the things we talked about the uh oriented man search or other things like that in other classes but um so i didn't know where you'd use this one in so that's more yeah, geared more, towards bigger areas yeah I don't know what the rooms were that they were searching, but in the past we did it in the the building right next to their obstacle course. Yeah. It's just one big open like classroom almost. That's basically where they did it at too. Okay, yeah, that's that's what it's made for. Okay. So yeah. that was like I'm trying to think of like a good um comparison, like two cases put together put together, two two gas stations put together. Maybe bigger yeah, than that? That'd be fine. I don't know. I'm trying any, to think of like... kind of like auditorium or something like that. Okay. Um, something like that. <gasps> Could you imagine like an actual like auditorium with all the rows of seating and stuff and searching that? That'd be weird. Oh, that'd be a mess. <laughs> Thermal camera. <laughs> Thermal camera all day long. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be a mess, but... Um, um, the, the, the confidence trailer or confidence box trailer thing was there from Carney that I talked about in the last Lucre one. They weren't running it on Sunday morning when we went to his class, but they were running it Saturday and Friday. Yep. But. That's 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 a really good class. It um, It's an advanced SCBA class. They do that little bit of search. Um, they do a little bit of writ training. Um, but the big part of that class is learning your personal limits in an air pack and being more comfortable in an air pack. Mm-hmm. So they, I've took this class once and they have an obstacle, well, I call it an obstacle course, um, that you go through and basically you do it as many times as you can so that you get your time and you, you push yourself and you, you And work. this, this isn't the confidence box. No, this is. This just, is a different one. This is yeah. a different like actual obstacle course with things yeah. to do. And basically you push yourself and you figure out how long you can actually last on your air pack. So you have a good idea of. Hey, you know, 10 minutes in, you're halfway through a bottle. So, you know, you got about 10 minutes left before you need to be out of the house. You know, mm. you know, your personal limit, you go through a confidence box, which we've talked about before. You learn to know your physical limits with an air pack and how to overcome those. A lot of times when you're going through that, that maze or that confidence box, a lot of people run out of air. It's another experience that you get to experience in a controlled environment. Like, you know how it's going to feel. I mean. Yeah, I think we just... talked about that in the Les Luker run, right? Like, how, I ran, how they made me run out of air because I still had air left at the end of it. Yeah. It was cool. It was weird. Yeah. But it was cool. I, I realized my biggest problem with that box was the chest strap. I love having the chest strap on my air bottles, on my air packs. It, it makes it sit better on me and... But I realized how hard it is for me to, at least on the pack I was wearing at the time, to unclip that. It was so hard to unclip it. Like, it took everything I had. I don't know why. Because I could do it just with regular fingers. But with my gloves on, I, I had the worst time doing it. 
right? Well, that's that's one thing I learned. Like I, I tell everyone always says use the chest strap, but it's up to your own discretion. Yeah. Going through that course at fire school is when I learned I don't like that chest strap. It does help as far as making the pack more comfortable, but as far as me being able to move in the pack and being able to ma- manipulate that pack as mm-hmm. I need to, I don't wear it. See, and I wonder if that'd be different with a newer pack, though, with better chest straps. It might be. So I'm very curious. I'd like to try it with newer and see what happens. But, yeah, like that that's where I found my downfall because that's what took the most time was to undo that. And um, I never put it back on after I took it off that first time just because it, it, it took way longer than what it should have. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, just, like I said, that's all what that course is about is learning your personal limits, limits. and being more comfortable in the in your pack. Yeah. And that was one thing I found. Like, I, when I'm just wearing the pack around normally, it works fine. But if I were to get into, um, if I were to go into a house or something, I'm definitely not putting that chest strap on because it, it limits me. For me, it limits how far I can rotate my arms, where I can put them above my head, things like that. And then if I, I never need, thought about that, if I need to pull my pack off for whatever reason to get through a small space, it's hard to do. Um, it's just, I can manipulate it better without that. And mm-hmm. I have more range of motion and stuff like that with it. It's a little more uncomfortable, but I can do more in it. And that was the whole point of the class. That was the whole point of that maze was to get you more familiar with your limits, the physical limits. Yeah. I mean, it was great. So anyway. Anyway. Uh, sorry. I had that one a little much. That's but, all right. Um, that was kind of what we did on Sunday. We just kind of revisited some of those classes and we went back to the flashover. Yeah class and and talk to those guys some more obviously and had fun with them but yeah that that was kind of fire school yeah like i said the most more of the stuff that i learned was in the the a lot of the classroom classroom stuff yeah so So the other stuff was just stuff that i've already learned before or knew about or you know like the one that uh kind of piqued my interest uh they have a uh firefighter spouses class yeah yeah you've never Which, heard of that before i don't think well they had it last year not last year yeah uh, the year before and uh, do you go through it or, i, I yeah, just I know you got a t-shirt from it i got I a t remember. so i i stayed in there for about 20 minutes which is one of the longer classes i stuck around in um that year so that was in 2019 um and they made me take a t-shirt because <laughs> you know i stuck in there long enough because i was i was really curious about it what they talk about because I know a lot of these conferences that you hear about throughout the fire service are trying to implement more of that. Yeah. Right? And they started doing it here at this one. Very, very limited. It was only a two-hour class in the afternoon on Saturday. But um, they they went through just, like, you know, some what to expect for being a spouse of a firefighter. Um, some, uh, maybe some of the issues or problems they had. Basically, whatever the spouses really wanted to talk about is kind of what they focused the class on. And if they brought kids to the class, basically, they took the kids. So there's a fire prevention class that happens at fire school, too. And so during this time frame, they have it worked out that they'll do an actual fire prevention presentation for practicing for the students in the class. They'll do it on kids. So some of the people who are actually in the class will bring their kids. And then any of the spouses that go through this other class, the spouses class, If they have kids, they'll go with the fire prevention class for this presentation for two hours. And then the the parents, the spouses, will go through this other class. It's cool how they have it, like, worked out this way perfectly. So that way you can have the whole family up there. 
and they can all kind of do things, right? And yeah. then that way the and it's usually the wives, right? But there was actually at least one husband in there. I, I um, see, but yeah, there was one husband in there this time. But they could go through this and actually get down to the deep stuff they don't want to talk about around the kids. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's nice. Like I said, it's, this is the second year they've had it. And it's just something I don't think about as a husband, as a firefighter. I, yeah. I, well, you're a firefighter too, so I know you kind of know. But, like, it's just something I don't think about. And I think it's cool that they're putting that class in at fire school. Because I'm sure there is a lot of um, spouses out there that maybe don't quite understand what's going on or don't get the information they necessarily need. And that's mm-hmm. a good way to do it. And it does make it more of a family outing to yeah. go to fire school then too. So. Oh, definitely. Anyway, we're pretty close on time. Yeah, I think we so. were too. Um, so yeah, that's, I hope you guys got something out of this. Um, it's just a quick rundown of, of what we did, but quick rundown. Yeah, quick do you want to rephrase that? <laughs> okay. It was kind of a long rundown. But. <laughs> Um, I hope you guys got some stuff to think about out of it. All right. Well, you guys have a good night. Uh, enjoy listening to it. Whenever you're listening to it. Day, <laughs> like you didn't, you didn't, I was going to say, you didn't say your normal thing you usually do. Day, night, whatever time you listen to it. Day, night, whatever time you're listening to it. Um, yeah, we hope you guys have a, a good, good night, day, whatever time you listen to <laughs> I can't even say it now. You can't. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening and, uh, we'll catch you next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening to us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Couplings Fire Podcast. See you next time.